Jason Miller, welcome to the show. Tim and Paul, great to be with you both. So for people who aren't familiar, say, here in the UK, you were the chief spokesman for the Trump 2016 presidential campaign. How did that come about? So a bit of a fascinating story. It's uh, most people uh, uh, talk as though I was just born in in 2016 and I appeared with President Trump. Because you're you're, uh, you're very articulate for a five year old. (laughs) Uh, Well, I've I've, I've had uh, good instructors, Uh, but prior to joining President Trump, I had a, a two decade run of managing campaigns in the U.S. for Congress, for Senate, for governor. I'd worked on Rudy Giuliani's unsuccessful presidential run in 2008, we were a couple of votes short, uh, but then also spent time co-owning an advertising agency, uh, doing work in a CEO consultancy space, uh, and even being a, a chief of staff on Capitol Hill. And was that, so I, that was with Jamestown, was it Jamestown Associates? Uh, yes, that was the company that uh, that I co-owned on the advertising firm, and we helped elect dozens of candidates and did a lot of corporate work as well. And uh, in I initially had spoken with President Trump in 2011, and obviously he was then uh, apprentice Trump, so to speak, um, in that space. And he ended up not running. But if he had run in 2012 against uh, former President Obama in his first term, I would have been his campaign manager. And but he ended up not running. And to be honest with you, I kind of thought maybe at the time it was just a move to juice uh, his uh, apprentice contract uh, to get more money out of NBC by getting some of the headlines going as he is a, the marketer in chief as well. And so when he was making a little bit of noise for 2016, I just quite frankly didn't think it was serious uh, based on my previous experience. So I actually signed up with Ted Cruz, uh, who was the second place finisher in the Republican primary. Trump beats him, and then about a month after the race, uh, or after the Indiana contest, which was uh, formerly what bumped out Cruz, then Jared Kushner called me and said, hey, uh, we, we wanted to team up back in 2011. Uh, we didn't get a chance early on, but we want to get you on the team. So that's how I arrived with uh, with President Trump and got a front row seat for uh, not just one historical campaign, but two. So what skills would you say are the most important to be a campaign manager? Because you must have a a balance of analytical skills, obviously presentation skills, and um, like there must be so much to obviously manage and analyze. But what are the main skills you need? I think you ticked off a couple of them right there, but it's a a combination of uh, effective time management. Uh, I think also analytics has really changed. I mean, look, I'm, I'm 46, and so I've my very first campaign uh, I think one person, maybe the campaign manager, um, this was back in like 96 or 97, had a cell phone and I had a beeper in uh, a calling card. And so I, I felt like a dr- <laughs> I felt like a drug lord. And so if the, the campaign worked and so I'd be driving uh, in California in the middle of the desert or something, I'd, my beeper would go off and I have to find a pay phone and use my calling card to go. In, but now. Uh, you're expected to be wired in with your smartphones and be able to turn something around in milliseconds, uh, no matter where you physically might be. So the the analytics have grown as well, especially the targeting, the way that you can reach out and identify voters, the commercial data uh, that's now available uh, on, again, whether it's voters, whether it's on uh, people that you want to reach out to in the private sector, uh, is completely really the the analytics, uh, you're right on that, has changed quite a bit. Uh, but I think the, the one variable that uh, that you you didn't mention that include is uh, is adaptability. And the reason why I say that is anyone who's a smart, uh, again, whether they're a campaign manager, whether they're a CEO, uh, whether they're they're someone who uh, runs their own um, talk show, for example, uh, such as yourselves, you're going to get curveballs or different things that are that are thrown at you. 
and you have to figure out how to adapt, uh, how to uh, make the the best of the situation, how to continue charging towards your uh, your uh, well-stated objective, uh, and and in fact, that's one of the things that Jared Kushner said to me early on was uh, when I asked them well, why were they calling me at this point to say come on board, and he said we're not looking for for you just because you've gotten all these wins prior to President Trump, but we want someone who is flexible because he's going to do things different than any other candidate you've ever worked with. And I said, oh, that's great. I'm glad you're real uh, confident in my abilities and my track record. And then Jared said, well, also, we've tried tried everybody else and they didn't work. So <laughs> now we're uh, now we're stuck with you. So uh, at, least it was whether, <laughs> at least he was on. So whether by hook or by crook, I got myself a seat at the table uh, with President Trump and had uh, uh, two uh, very um, fun yet crazy journeys. So how different was this campaign with Donald Trump compared to your other campaigns? You know, it's I would almost say that the two campaigns were um, 2016 and 2020 were very different. Now, I'll tell you how so <clears throat> in 2016, what was unique and different about President Trump is that the uh, literally everything that we were doing, just assume that if you'd had a background in politics, the way that you would traditionally do things, he'd want to do it the opposite way. Even just a very, very brief example. We were getting ready to roll out his economic plan or his tax plan, and we spent days working on this this media plan and how we're going to put it together and who we're going to leak the story to and who we're going to have out for surrogates and all these different things. Who we're going to have op-eds from? I go in to present him with this plan, and he looks at it, kind of looks at me, looks at the plan, looks at me, and he's like, "How much time did you spend on this?" Oh, you know, maybe like a couple of minutes, you know, just uh, through to get. It was like multiple people working around the clock for a couple of days. And he just looks and he goes, you spent a lot of time on this, didn't you? I'm like, no, no, of course. It's just, you know, I want to get some ideas and some thoughts. And he goes, in the future, before you start writing out plans, come talk to me. He's like, here's what I would tell you. You don't need to worry about all this. I'm just going to wake up. I'm going to call Matt Lauer at the Today Show. He'll book me on live. We're going to have, you know, four and a half, five million people uh, watching at one time. I'll go and tell him what my plan is. I'll be in my pajamas in my bedroom. I won't even have to leave the house. That's going to get the day started. Uh, the uh, Hillary won't even be out of bed yet. And uh, we'll go and deliver the plan. And so it, just the way that he thinks about how he uses mass media, doing things completely different. Um, that was, uh, and I, I think it framed a lot of even my approach to the commercial space. Even before I got here to get her, when I was doing global CEO advisory work, the people have such a limited bandwidth for uh, receiving new commercial pitches, so to speak. And, and I say this is true, whether you're selling a box detergent uh, or a car or a social media platform or a new restaurant, you have to be really direct and to the point and catch people's attention uh, because otherwise they're going to tune you out. There's so many other messages bombarding them that you have to be real clever and creative to go and cut through. That's something I really, really learned from President Trump. I think it helped shape my my marketing approach. But the, the other thing, too, in 2016 is that we're effectively playing with house money, it, that we knew that nobody expected us to win. So all we could do was succeed. Uh, if we lost, that's what everybody expected to happen. If we won, then uh, so we had the pressure was off. Now, don't get me wrong. It was a stressful campaign. Everything from the accusers to the Access Hollywood tape to the the crazy debates. It was a roller coaster ride for sure. But there was a different type of stress, a different type of um, uh, threshold that we were at. 2020 was different. 2020, uh, you had uh, basically President Trump snuck up on nobody. Uh, whether it be the some of the voting rules uh, were edited mid-game. Uh, obviously. Uh, 
ostensibly under the guise of COVID. That's a whole nother conversation. But some of the rules were changed. We saw the, the rise of political censorship, which is really then kind of how we got together, where we saw where the big tech platforms, and we've seen this with a lot of the woke capitalism, where so many companies are now moving to to try to put their their worldview, their imprint uh, on their customer base, uh, which I, I think is a um, uh, in my opinion, a, a dangerous trend for society, whether it's in the US or the UK or anywhere. How easily reversible do you think that trend is? Great question. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I think that many of my, uh, I think that many of my, uh, say, colleagues or peers uh, think that once we start to say, for example, as Getter grows, or they're, uh, say, President Trump uh, with his Truth Social platform, uh, is that uh, gets kicked off at some point here next year? That a lot of my friends will say, oh, well, the the big tech companies will learn. They'll see their their lost market share, um, and uh, and they'll realize the error of their ways. Uh, I think that once a sitting president of the United States is completely deplatformed from all social media, that really the guardrails are off. There's no going back at that point. And I think that these companies will make a conscious decision and say, you know what? Um, yeah, there are a lot of Americans that might not want to be active on this platform uh, because uh, they have more, say, uh, center-right uh, types of viewpoints. That's fine. We'll just grow with with other countries, and we just realize we won't get some of these customers. So I, I think this is more of a permanent change. And But I do think – here's the one thing I say. I do think that we're starting to see – a pushback to some of the woke culture and the counter, uh, the cancel culture we've seen going on. I think going after, when they start going after certain groups, whether it be the Dave Chappelle uh, or the Nicki Minaj or even Madonna, the people who might not necessarily be political actors and who probably quite frankly are left to center or even Democrats, but when they start getting canceled uh, or deplatformed or shadow banned, that's where I, I think you're gonna see the pushback in the mainstream media. So just to, to lob a grenade directly into the, the shallow end of the swimming pool, do you think the Biden 2020 presidential election was valid or invalid? Well, it was a bad election. Uh, I mean, he's sitting in the White House right now. And so that's uh, he uh, he was declared the winner. Um, just to give you kind of the, the clarity on my perspective on this, um, I do think that many of the election rules on the state by state basis uh, were changed during the 2020 election cycle in an unconstitutional manner. But the very clear um, directive that had been given from courts at all levels, whether it be the federal or the state courts, uh, have, uh, for, uh, to really kind of truncate it down to a short stretch if people believe that they're voting in a legal fashion and that's the means that they go and vote, then obviously those people aren't going to be penalized with having uh, their votes uh, discounted or something of that nature. So even though um, even though I think the way that the rules were changed were unconstitutional, back to the matters, those were the rules. Uh, and uh, so I, I think that was unfair. I do think that there were significant fraud and um, irregularities. Uh, on election day, but I have not seen enough on uh, on specific to election day to overturn uh, the election or go have it back. So uh, Joe Biden's in there in the White House. He's the the lawful uh, president of the United States, and I look forward to uh, um, hoping to uh, to try to beat him in uh, in 2024. That's a very sanguine, uh, very sanguine approach. I, I, I suspect if I if we were sitting on uh, if I was sitting in your seat and you were sitting in mine, I'd be a lot more. Um fiery in my resistance to the legitimacy of that campaign, but uh, I, I defer to your experience in these matters. Well, you know, it's uh, there are, uh, look, we went through uh, a lot of legal challenges on this, and uh, I mean, there were there was no stone that was left unturned 
uh, with regard to uh, the legal efforts to try to bring light to this. And the the really the critical decision was the Wisconsin State Supreme Court decision, which, uh, and again, uh, rules were changed by executives, not by the state legislature. Effectively, they went to blasting out ballots uh, at the county level, uh, and they uh, did it at the county executive level <clears throat> to go and send these out in heavily Democratic counties, but they never had applications on file, which is a direct contrast to state policy. They changed the rule mid-game, sent them out. That clearly uh, was easily more than the 20,000 uh, vote delta they'll end up having there on election day. But then by the time it went to the state Supreme Court, uh, they said, look, um, uh, yes, ultimately your uh, what you're complaining about is fair and valid, but the remedy that you're seeking will never be uh, granted ever. No one's ever going to go and tell someone who believes that they voted legally uh, and who voted once uh, and who's a, a voter in good standing uh, that their vote uh, doesn't count. And so uh, we've we fought that battle. Uh, and at this point, uh, my goal uh, really is obviously on, on Getter, on the free speech platform. Um, but uh, we'll just have to come back and, and beat Biden or whoever the Democratic nominee is in 2024, which, by the way, I do not think it'll be Joe Biden or even Kamala Harris. Uh, I think that uh, I think there'll be Gavin Newsom from California uh, will be the the Democratic nominee. But uh, I think with all the news Hillary Clinton's been making the last 24 hours, it's pretty clear that uh, she hasn't lost sight of that dream. So tell us about the Getter platform. Um, how long has it been going and how is it different to obviously the main rival Twitter? Well, uh, thanks for asking. So we launched on July 4th, asking folks to our Independence Day to asking folks to declare their independence, uh, not just in celebration of the U.S., but also declare the independence from big tech. And we immediately within three days, we got to over a million users uh, after about 10 days. We're at a million and a half. We're now up over three million users. So we're the fastest growing social media platform in history. Fastest ever to one million, fastest ever to two million, fastest ever to three million. And we're the all in one free speech platform. So we've given people the ability to um, uh, have their free speech. So uh, that's in stark contrast to what we see with Twitter and Facebook, and even YouTube, where people are being sentenced to digital jail simply for expressing their political viewpoints. Um, when we add our short video feature, which will be a marketplace competitor to TikTok and Instagram Reels, that's coming out on February 1st. Then I think we'll start to be competing against those platforms much more. But then, guys, here's the big thing and where I think there's going to be a lot of interest from your end. July 4th of next year is when we plan on launching Getter Pay, which won't just be a marketplace competitor to Apple Pay and Alipay and Google Pay and such, but we're also going to launch a two-coin ecosystem. Uh, and so we're going to bring some of the benefits of uh, crypto and blockchain, whether it be peer-to-peer um, uh, -peer lending, whether it be the online marketplace, whether it be the gamification, the ability for people to actually monetize their participation in a social media platform. And then you can say at that point that our competitors aren't just Twitter and Facebook on the speech, not just say Instagram and TikTok on the video, but then you could say really any traditional lender mm. uh, we could be a competitor with as we're on the corner into next summer. So do you have any coins at the moment that people can invest in or is that something that's going to come next year? Uh, so that will come next year. Uh, so that's what we, we plan on launching. We'll have both a, a stable coin and a fluctuating coin, uh, but those will be a part of Getter Pay uh, with that system. Uh, and we think that's really going to revolutionize uh, really the uh, the approach from uh, social media. And also it's going to introduce an entire new community to this digital economy. And I think there's an important point here that you have tens of millions of people in the U.S., 
hundreds of millions of people all around the world that for whatever reason are not participating in this digital economy. And that could be, uh, maybe there's a lack of trust uh, with the people that they're talking to. Maybe they, I know Facebook has tried uh, multiple times uh, to try to go and get something launched, but they've never been able to. And heck, now they've changed their name. So I think a lot of Facebook's best days are in the rearview mirror. Um, but the, we think that with Getter, it's a platform that people will be able to trust and that they'll believe in, and they know they'll have the confidence uh, to participate with. And so that's really kind of the, those are a couple of the exciting things we have coming down the road. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Um, so you, you you talked about some of the short form platforms, but what about a rival to the longer form like YouTube? Have you got something in that space in, in mind? Great question. So we have, so right now we already have longer posts, 777 characters, uh, 777, those are lucky numbers. Uh, not that I've ever been to Vegas or Macau, but just pe people, people tell me that those are lucky numbers. Um, so that's the uh, that's how we randomly ended up with that number since uh, maybe someone who helped launch the company um, likes uh, to gamble. Um, or is that is that how the staff at Getter travel around on a seven 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 a piece? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and, uh, and well, yeah, we don't quite have our own seven 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 to fly around, but uh, that's that's I, that's a good case. Work, work in progress. Yeah, uh, it's uh, I'll make that case to the board that if we need to stay consistent to our messaging, I need my own seven 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 to fly around on. I think that's. Uh, uh, I think that's only um, uh, proper. Um, but we, uh, so uh, going back to that, we have longer posts, we have longer videos at three minutes already, whereas it's two minutes and 20 seconds for Twitter. But for verified users, we extend that out to 10 minute videos. So we have longer chunks. And in the US in particular, most TV and radio segments are about eight or nine minutes. Uh, so that's a key there. So people don't have to go and break up those blocks. Um, with with and we also have in-app uh, video editing, which it, it put it this way, even someone like me can figure out how to use it in a few seconds. Um, what we are going to launch in Q1 of next year, online tipping and appreciation, meaning that you can go in similar to using bits uh, with Twitch, how you can go and compensate content users. So that's or, like micro, me, sorry, micro payments. Yes, 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 yes. And so we're going to set that up both for the, um, you know, uh, kind of the a la carte or, you know, as people see the need or if they want to do it with, say, uh, set up a subscription model with somebody. Uh, but those will be some immediate things that we get going in advance of Getter Pay actually launching midsummer. But as far as, uh, but as far as, say, a, a competitor to YouTube or Rumble, not in that exact context. So having free speech on a platform was something that I think Twitter initially tried to do and then felt, and, and for whatever reason, and we can speculate about that, ended up not doing that at all. And some people can see the inconsistencies more than others. I think the fact that you're creating a rival platform is absolutely brilliant because this is just what we need. But is there a danger, do you think, potentially in having completely free speech in terms of there is sometimes dangerous content that does need to be removed. Um, that has to be done by either people or AI or some, some form of, of uh, editing. H how will you deal with those challenges? Yeah, another excellent question. So our goal, kind of our North Star, is to always make sure that nobody ever gets censored or algorithmed or deplatformed or sent to digital jail for conveying their political beliefs. That, that's our, our core mission statement of what we're trying to do here. If, if you take everything else away, that's a value proposition that we have. 
uh, that does not mean that literally anything can get posted. And so we have a terms of service and we have a proactive and robust moderation plan that's really two pronged. One is with AI. So there are obviously certain things, whether it be uh, extreme pornographic images uh, or racial or religious epithets, those types of things, those will get blocked before they get posted, or at least they're supposed to. Obviously, there are different ways people will try to work arounds. But then other things that appear in a certain range, those will go to human moderators to review. Now, the human moderators are all people who've gone through extensive training, who've done background checks. Uh, and we always spot check people to make sure that things are happening in the right fashion to make sure they're not, be, say, being overly aggressive, uh, but also make sure uh, that they're not missing certain things. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, uh, just in the same way that you can't walk into a pub uh, in London and start um, uh, hurling um, uh, threats of physical violence to someone, you can't go in the digital square and start uh, threatening or intimidating someone as well. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that saying calling somebody a jerk uh, or saying that you think that their uh, their ideas are stupid. I mean, there's a difference between being courteous uh, in in conveying illegal uh, commentary. Obviously, if you're you know talking about here's our plans to rob a bank or something, that wouldn't be permitted. Uh, so there there might be some things that uh, that technically might be uh, permissible speech, such as uh, racial or religious epithets. We've made the decision with the platform that if we want to have a place for political free speech and make sure that that's never going to be assaulted. Uh, then we do have to have some boundaries because um, we want the platform ultimately to be safe for people to come and visit. And uh, we just uh, don't have time for any of the, uh, the things like the racial or religious epithets. That's, that's not political free speech. Nobody, is, uh, nobody reaches out and complains and says, man, I just really wanted to use uh, these offensive terms uh, to criticize people for, by, for their race or religion. This doesn't count as free speech. I literally have never gotten one of those types of uh, criticisms. We live in such in such a divisive world at the moment. It's uh, I can see that um, if people come over to a platform, sometimes those decisions as to what should be allowed and what shouldn't can get really, really complex. Say say it the, is say the it, trans it, issue or something like that, um, where certain people will think this is completely fair. We've had it in like conversations with friends and things like that where. We, we think we're just expressing a view and the other person's just getting really offended and and it's there's no intention to in, uh, offend somebody it's just to have a discussion and you know um, I think people are getting so used to th saying I'm offended therefore this needs to be taken down and that's wrong I mean you could be offended about anything and and that doesn't necessarily mean that person hasn't got the right to have a view and discuss it. Uh, no, you're exactly right, and that's something where um, uh, you can you can definitely be offensive uh, within our terms of service. That is something that uh, I mean. There are plenty of people who tell me that I'm number one in a very New York kind of way uh, all the time, and frequently I'll repost them and say, "Hillary, is this you uh, with your uh, with your secret account?" Um, so there are just to let people know, like, yeah, and you can you can be offensive, but there's up to a point. Usually, where people's free speech rights extend to is when it starts to infringe on someone else's free speech rights, or to start to uh, maybe uh, put them in in harm's way. Uh, and and again, there's a difference between offensive uh, or uh, saying something that actually puts someone in harm's way. It's tough to do a blanket statement, but I'll give you an example on how we're continually learning and growing our moderation platform after the horrific uh, bombings uh, outside of um, the Kabul airport back in August, uh, we had some pretty graphic video uh, that was uh, being shared to the platform. And we got together and made the decision that uh, something, say, such as the, the aftermath of a terrorist attack, 
uh, always has to be something that people can see because we can't forget uh, just how uh, how deadly and, and uh, how uh, deadly and how gnarly uh, some of these these terrorists and these bad actors are. Uh, but the actual act, uh, say, of killing somebody or the actual act of um, uh, some bomb going off and seeing the, the very graphic details, uh, the act of it itself, that's where we drew the line. But uh, as far as, say, the, the carnage afterwards, that's where we went through and said, uh, as soon as we start covering up, uh, then people are going to forget or not realize how how damaging or dangerous uh, one of these suicide attacks are. So we're constantly, or one other much less serious example, we had a gentleman who posted, for whatever reason, um, he was really hungry, essentially 14 sandwiches stacked on top of each other, covering his face, and then he had a knife and a fork uh, that were all that you could see on either side. For some reason, our AI caught that and said, oh, this man's you know brandishing a knife. Well, upon review, it's a you know butter knife because the guy's really hungry and eating a bunch of sandwiches. Right. So we changed up, changed up some of the... Um, uh, the API implementation, make sure that now there are six different categories of people with knives uh, to make sure that we're not being overly strict. Because again, we want to we want to make sure that we're as least invasive as possible. Uh, and look, we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. We're going to make some mistakes. We're going to continue to grow and get better. And we are guided by an ideological principle. And if you support free speech and you oppose cancel culture, we think you're a perfect fit for Getter. In the context of traditional media, and I appreciate you'll have the perspective likely of a, a digital native rather than a, a traditional media person. Do you think there's, there's a role for traditional media businesses or are they just sort of dinosaurs that haven't yet woken up to the fact? Uh, great question. So this is kind of one of those uh, two things can be true at the same time uh, where uh, traditional media is still the powerhouse. Um, but uh, their uh, market share is decreasing year after year. And many of the um, uh, many consumers of traditional media are becoming older and older. Uh, in fact, it, whether it be people uh, here in the US, we refer to it as cutting the cord. Uh, so where people get rid of say their cable news subscriptions and purely move to streaming uh, television or OTT, uh, particularly with the, the Samsung eights uh, and above, uh, where you can basically plug anything into or um, mirror broadcast or those sorts of things. Um, so it's, but it's still, if you want to go and reach people in the the biggest kind of shotgun blast way, traditional media is still it. But uh, what I'm very much a favor of, I think that the the more choices for consumers, the better. Um, I really like the more decentralized model. I love the fact that that podcasts, for example, uh, are being able to pop up, and I love the fact that YouTube shows are able to pop up because here's the thing. So many people, uh, yourself included, but so many other shows as well, all around the world, not even specific to the US or the UK, they would never get that chance to host a show or to communicate their viewpoint if they had to go up and they could only go through Sky or they could, mm -hmm. or they only had enough funding to go through say GB News. Uh, and so I think what this allows is for us to get a lot of people, um, you get kind of right to the commentary and there's not that artificial barrier of access to capital. I think one of the really important areas of society that need to be represented uh, on a platform such as yours is the comedians. And I think they serve a fantastic, um, they, they serve the community very well by looking at situations in the way that their brains do and look at the humor of what's going on in order to call things out. And I think one of the, the biggest problems that we've seen over the last few years is how the council cultures made them fearful of their own art. And I think this needs to come back 
And I'm hoping that there'll be lots of comedians going on Getter and being funny and not being afraid to say the jokes that they should be saying, um, obviously within the bounds of, of, of what you've said before. But I, I think that's just such an important area that, that, is, that needs to be addressed. You know, it is. I'm glad you bring this up. So I'm a big comedy fan and um, I, I love, you know, some of my favorites. Uh, you know, of course, I love uh, Dave Chappelle. I think he's great. Uh, holy smokes. Did he just uh, uh, go right into the uh, the buzzsaw with his most recent Netflix special? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first 10 minutes in. And even I was like, oh, you know what? I'm like, man, now now I see why the uh, folks got where I mean, he just went in head first. Uh, but look, uh, I've been uh, Chris Rock has been one of my favorites. I want to tell you another person who's been one of my longtime favorites, and this is the only comedy show I've been to in uh, the last couple of years, but I went and saw David Spade, uh, who used to be on Saturday Night Live, then he was on Joe Dirt. Uh, I know he's been in a couple other kind of Lauren Michaels uh, kind of B-level movies. He is uh, one of the funniest you-know-whats uh, uh, I've ever seen. And this was kind of right after the Me Too movement started coming up and, and really the wokeism started raging in like 18 and 19. And I went and saw him, I believe it was in 2019, just a couple years ago. And what I found, not just him, but even the two warm-up acts, they were scared of their own shadow. And all they would do is make fun of themselves and make fun of their own kids. Like, you know, my kid's so goofy, you know, he's in middle school doing this. And so they're telling these jokes that ostensibly just would have been pointing to the guy in the front row, like, hey, you, I'm going to make fun of you, which, by the way, I sat in the front row of a comedy show once. Don't ever do that. <laughs> like, especially if you look like me, you just have a, I have a target on me as is. You sit in the front row of a comedy show, you're immediately part of the show. So just anyone watching, don't do it. But here's the thing with the, the David Spade and the folks in his show. They, he literally, I mean, all of the... Uh, traditionally, you know, whether it be, you know, a misogynist or, or borderline, you know, offensive or non-politically correct, any of the jokes that people would traditionally associate him with were all gone. All he made fun of was himself or his his kids in middle school. It was boring. It was, I was like, is this, did someone uh, perform surgery and remove something from David Spade? Because he's just, he's not what he used to be. Um, I, I am glad, uh, look, even though I thought Dave Chappelle, um, you know, much of his show was funny. Some of it went pretty hardcore. Look, I even wasted $9.99 on Louis C.K. on his comeback show recently. But some of it was funny. Um, but no, we are making a concerted effort to try to get some uh, comedians on the platform. We actually had a meeting about that uh, a couple days ago. But I completely agree. Humor uh, is always, humor is the best commentary. And that's, uh, it's entertaining. Uh, it can be informative. Um, and, and, and much of my early years were spent watching Saturday Night Live. That was a, a religious experience for me of going through and getting my political commentary uh, via comedy. Speaking of religious experiences, have you seen uh, Dry Bar on YouTube? Uh, I have not. Uh, no. Is it good? Do you recommend it? So this is this is something that I've, I've been trying to be evangelical about to, to people in, in the UK. Uh, you, you've seen a few, haven't you, Paul? Oh, yes, absolutely. So, so dry, dry Bar, I'm, I'm not too familiar with the, the, the backstory, but I think it's, it's, it's shot in, uh, is it Provo, Utah? Okay. So it's, it's, yep. it's a religious community. But basically all it means is, I, I think, to, to give the name full expression, all it means is that the, neither the, the act or the audi nor the audience are allowed to drink. But that aside, it's, it's pretty much anything goes. So it, it's, it's like a kind of Certificate 12 or Certificate 15 comedy, but it's very, very funny. It's just it's, it, it's conservative comedy. All right, I'm going to go check it out because you recommend it. I'm always on the look for... Um, uh, they've, for they've got tons of material, tons of talented people, most of whom I've never, probably all of whom I've never heard of as comedians, but some of them are outstanding. And there's there's plenty there, and it seems like it's a marriage made in heaven for uh, Forgetter. 
Uh, awesome. I'm going to go check it out. I'll tell you, one of the cool things that we just launched uh, with our live streaming feature, uh, it's uh, similar in the, the fact that, you know, there used to be Periscope and for a short time, I know Twitter went and bought them for whatever reason, they discontinued that. Uh, but we've had some really good success with our live streams so far. Uh, Lawrence Fox, uh, for example, someone there in the UK, who uses it quite frequently. Um, we also have uh, on the platform um, uh, right ac across the uh, uh, the channel there, uh, Eric Zemmer, who's running for president in France, uh, who's made a lot of headlines recently, and then uh, President Bolsonaro in Brazil. So we have a lot of folks who started to use the live streaming feature, which has been popular. So my goal is especially once, I, I think it'll be easier once we add in the um, the tipping and online appreciation uh, for the content creators, and then people realize, hey, I can monetize uh, being funny on Getter uh, with their live streams, then I think it'll really take off. So you're plan to roll out getter would it be to the world or are you um just looking at the us and the uk and europe and then thinking about other places after that because obviously there are certain countries where it's going to be very difficult um to to break into for whatever reason the isle of white they've, they've barely got electricity and um and you've got a very ambitious strategy going forward because you're launching so many different platforms at once and with innovation as well. Um, uh, what's your strategy for growth uh, outside of the UK and the, the US? Absolutely. So one of the, the very conscious decisions I made even back before we launched this is that I wanted this to be uh, a global platform. And that's for a couple of reasons. One, because I knew that uh, the way that the uh, the markets uh, would react to it, especially as we start to to grow and monetize it and uh, uh, eventually go public and all these other different things. But uh, having the, the global diversity um, gives us a lot better chance, uh, obviously, for scaling. Uh, you're going to need that because there are only so many users you can get in the U.S., but also to get the broad range of ideas, a broad range of, of input so it's not just some U.S. echo chamber. Uh, right now, the U.S. is about 37% of our global base. Uh, Brazil is number two at about 15%. We've had tremendous growth in Brazil. Um, the fact that President Bolsonaro and his three adult sons who are all in elected office Join the platform at the very beginning has really been a, a, um, a boost in the arm um, for growth in Brazil. Uh, so we've had tremendous. And then uh, I got detained there on my my most recent trip, uh, which we ended up getting 100,000 new followers in one week. Uh, so that uh, that was super helpful. Uh, Japan uh, is number three at about 10 or 11 percent. Uh, Japan's a little bit fascinating. We just started our uh, really our country team there about a week ago. So we're still kind of trying to figure out why we're doing so well in Japan. A lot of it are people who are um, concerned about the rise of the CCP and pushing back there. Uh, Germany's right about four, um, uh, usually about number four, about seven percent. This is uh, like the Eurovision Song Contest. Where's Britain? Where's the UK in this? I'm getting there. I'm almost there. <laughs> so then Canada's about six, France is about five, and the UK is about four. Oh, you're, you're teasing us, Jason. I was teaching. I was giving the chance to do the full run-up. Um, so the UK, uh, UK is definitely a growth area. We're going to start some additional advertising there very soon on GB News and on a, um, some additional programs. Uh, so we're looking to expand our footprint. Uh, now we kind of our, our 2022 budget and different things that are in place. Uh, but the UK is a uh, UK is a, a massive growth market for us. Uh, I think in particular, uh, look, even just uh, take a look at the news about the work from uh, work from home, but still do the holiday party. Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's, that's that's exactly right. Okay, so work it's from home. It's almost as if he's, uh, Boris is making it up as he goes along. 
Okay, so uh, needless to say, while absolutely terrible um, for those who are living under that, um, it's great for getter signups because uh, people get frustrated. And uh, when people are at home, guess what? They're on social media. They still want to connect with people. They want to interact. And so I think that um, uh, kind of the uh, whether it be the somewhat um, turbulent um, restriction restrictions being implemented in the UK or elections coming up in places like uh, France or Hungary or Brazil uh, or even in the Philippines where they have a presidential election next year as well. These are all things that really kind of drive in. The one other country that I didn't mention that's going to be a, a big point of expansion for us in Q1 of next year, India. Uh, India is a, uh, we've had big, actually English language growth in India. I know I'm getting probably way too granular than you care about. No, but no, just, I, mean, I was interested um, in India. I was going to ask you about that, so I appreciate that. India is, uh, look, India is uh, Facebook's single biggest country, for mm. example. Uh, where they have, uh, you know, uh, where they have something like several hundred million users or some, uh, you know, some uh, just massive amount. Um, but India is the second most connected country in the world. Everybody operates off of their phones. Um, we think that we have great growth potential. Obviously, it's an emer- it's both an emerging market and the world's largest democracy. Um, and uh, obviously, President Modi has had some spats with Twitter. Uh, and so there you have uh, a lot of people who are ideologically inclined to push back against the current big tech. And, you know, one of the things I always tell my friends when I'm traveling around the world, and like I said, I'm heading to France uh, a day after tomorrow, I'll be there for a few days. Um, but if, if you're frustrated uh, I tell my American friends, if you're frustrated that these big tech oligarchs are determining all your free speech rights, imagine if you don't even live in the U.S. You're like, why are these three rich guys from California telling us what we can and can't say? What would you do if Twitter decided to write you an absolutely massive check to buy you out? Uh, I would tell them in a, a very uh, massive uh, way to go pound sand uh, <laughs> that uh, we are – um, uh, that uh, we are not uh, going to sell out or compromise our principles or uh, whatever we're doing. I mean, this is a, um, I mean, quite frankly, uh, look, Twitter has a hundred times uh, our size right now, but where we're going with the short video format, um, where we're going with the, in the crypto space and with the digital payments um, and with uh, uh, the peer-to-peer lending and these things, they'll come up with getter pay. Technologically, we're going to pass Twitter pretty soon here. I think it was in Move Fast and Break Things, but it was in one of the more recent books about the the social media and fang type sector <clears throat> books that, that have come out in the last few years. Someone, I think it was actually Mark Zuckerberg himself, described Twitter as a clan car that got driven into a gold mine. Does does that seem like a fair uh, fair fair synopsis to you? It does, although you know I, I got asked a lot with with Dorsey. Um, stepping down recently, if uh, kind of what my thoughts on it. And I was actually a little bit sympathetic, uh, even though he um, angry with them for uh, the shadow banning and the censoring. And uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have like 260 or 270,000 followers on Twitter. But as soon as I took over as a getter CEO, I got like no engagement on anything mm-hmm. anymore. Like it's just, uh, you know, I get like 20 retweets. It's uh, it's almost kind of funny. Um, but do, you regard, do you regard Jack Dorsey as one of the white hats here? No, 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 no. But the, the sympathy part came from, I think part of the reason he stepped down is he has more money than he can ever spend. Mm. Uh, he's probably just tired of the brain damage, probably tired of being the punching bag. Now, it's a self-inflicted punching bag. Uh, but if you have that kind of money and, uh, you know, why go through the, those types of headaches every day? Um, they've never been able to monetize 
Twitter and the way that other social media platforms, say such as uh, Facebook or even YouTube, uh, have been able to take off. And I think part of it is, is the Washington Post uh, described so eloquently um, in uh, one of their recent op-eds that really their, their business model is misery. Uh, Twitter is a negative, nasty place. I can go on, I can, look, I'll go on post, if I were to post a, a picture of my my golden doodle, for example, um, you know, yeah, I might have a couple of people like, oh, Jason, it's nice that you like dogs. And then the rest I'm, of- I'm glad you clarified that, because I was wondering what a golden doodle might actually be, and I was thinking it might be something slightly um, slightly perverse, so I'm glad you've, you've, you've <laughs> no, cleared that up for us. No, it's a golden retriever and, uh, <laughs> and uh, labradoodle, so, <laughs> right, uh, or I guess labradoodle itself is a lab and a poodle, so I don't know. It's it's a hypo. It's a, it's a cute dog. dog. It's a cute dog. It's a cute dog. It's a cute dog. And so he's uh, um, uh, so Arlo, uh, who's my my uh, uh, golden doodle. Uh, but the point is, I have maybe two or three people say like, "Oh, cute dog," something like that. And then we'll have all of these spam accounts or people saying, "You're terrible. You're the devil. You're going to jail with Trump." And it's just mm. it's this nasty echo chamber of misery. Uh, essentially, is the the Washington Post. I thought pretty um, uh, articulately described, and I think that's one of the things I'm trying to do different with Getter. Now, does that mean that everyone's just going to be a, an echo chamber of uh, kumbaya and hunky dory? No, but I do think there's a, a. I think what we're trying to do with Getter is we're trying to make social media fun again, uh, and I intentionally lifted that phrase or paraphrased my former boss in saying that. But I I think that social media inherently should be a force for good. Uh, you take a look at even our logo. The torch is even about bringing lightness to dark, about bringing freedom and democracy to places where they don't have it. That's the power of social media. The fact that we can make sure that people retain their freedoms. I think we can also make it fun. I think it can be uh, an uplifting place where people actually look forward to opening up that app and participating in conversations, meeting people, our translate feature. I connect with people from all across the world who are writing me in Japanese or writing me in Portuguese, and I reply back, and they and our translate button uh, makes it really simple. And uh, I've interacted with more people from other countries online in the past three months than I have in the 10 years or so that I've been on Twitter. Do you have any view on the anonymity or otherwise of, of uh, social media, or in this case, getter accounts? Should, should people be able to use anonymity, or should they be obliged to use their full name? Uh, good question. So I think people should be able to use uh, essentially anonymity uh, or uh, screening. Su su subject to the previous caveats that you mentioned earlier about content. Yes. Um, but here's where uh, here's where we do have uh, – there are a couple lines uh, that we have to draw in the sand. One is with regard to parody accounts. So you can have a parody account, but it has to be labeled a parody account or uh, a humor account or something like that. Uh, so the, the identity impersonation – uh, is something that I take seriously. So yeah. I don't have people on there saying, um, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm Donald Trump, but guess what? It's not Donald Trump. Or if they're mm -hmm. saying they're the president of a country or they're a famous actor. Uh, now, if you're very clearly saying this is a parody account uh, or, you know, if the name is like not Leonardo DiCaprio, okay, mm -hmm. well, you know, obviously it's, it's, you know, not Leonardo DiCaprio. It's a, some kind of joke account. Um, so parody is okay as long as it's uh, clear that it's parody, um, but we don't want identity uh, imposters. Yeah, absolutely. That's that can be a big problem. Um, so, the Facebook you you talked about Facebook and what they've done um, in looking at the future. They think that the metaverse is the place to be. Um, do you think the same? Do you think that we will all be 
um, interacting in a getter type way in some some type of uh, you know um, with our with our goggles on and and interacting on some you know some metaverse that's created and transacting and and doing all the things we do in the in the normal world. No. No, I, I think that that's a, a lot of that is silly. Now, uh, there are in some of the, the younger demographics, uh, for example, my 13-year-old, um, uh, you know, we got her one of those Oculus things for, I don't know, it was her Christmas or her birthday or whenever. I don't know, I got shaken down for a few hundred bucks to go and, and get her that. Um, uh, look, there's a difference between maybe short-term gaming when people are doing things, but and I know within games, I got to give them credit though, uh, all of these games have abilities to, you know, sell certain upgrades in uh, in-app purchases. Uh, is such a massive market. Obviously, we see the uh, the Apple Epic um, legal battle that's going on over the the um, uh, royalty fees or commissions based off of that. So it's a, a genius um, a line of work to get into. So I'm, in other words, I'll try to figure some of that out myself. Uh, but I think that. Uh, I think that technology can bring people together in a lot of things, but there's there's no substitute uh, for actually showing up and seeing a real person or having a conversation with a real person. And uh, not everybody is going to be able to sit in their basement with a pair of the goggles on and live in some fake pretend life. Uh, you still have to go to the grocery. Well, I guess you don't have to go to the grocery store. You can have them delivered. But you have to at some point go outside, get some fresh air, interact with people. I think a lot of the... Uh, I think a lot of the effort by Zuckerberg to talk about uh, meta and kind of this whole change uh, was, I mean, quite frankly, just to try to get away from the bludgeoning they were getting from the Wall Street Journal and the whistleblower and to try to um, uh, rebrand and reframe even who they are, uh, are as a company. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, they're just basically uh, robots uh, who sell data and no one has any real affinity for them. To do a bit of a sort of handbrake turn just to get back to our, our sort of roots as a sort of financial investment themed pod. Um, outside the social media space, and I appreciate this is, a, this is a might sound like a loaded question. It's not meant to be. If it, I think the next year is going to be tough in markets. I think the, the threat of higher rates is going to be problematic for a lot of a lot of reasons uh, if that comes if that comes to pass. Outside social media, the social media sector, what what sector in the in the in the global markets would you like to own? At a sort of generic level for the next year, in other words, what's your what's your pick for the next twelve months? Uh, it's a great question. Obviously, I talked about as we go into kind of the, the online appreciation, the online tipping. Obviously, the uh, as we go into the uh, the short video format, uh, will be a lot of monetization. I think that the much of our entertainment industry uh, and news. Um, uh, dissemination will continue to be decentralized. Uh, I think we'll see a lot more people who can, again, uh, you don't have to go and get that license to be able to communicate to uh, the entire UK necessarily. You can pop up and have a, an online show. Uh, I think we'll see a lot more of that, but people figuring out how to monetize those. Uh, obviously, as we start talking about the, as we see inflation, for example, uh, and people are, are wondering why, say, for example, their uh, their uh, fiat currency isn't keeping up with uh, the uh, the inflation with goods. I do think that in the crypto space, which obviously has had a little, the uh, last couple of weeks been a little bit turbulent, uh, crypto is still going to be around and people are doing it. And I do think that for the long haul, it's going to be with us. And it's going to continue to grow. But I do think there's the opportunity there uh, to make your money work for you and not take some of the beating uh, with regard to uh, with regard to inflation. You know, I, I do tell you uh, where I clearly see you know, anything going into to coding or engineering or app development, 
uh, anything in that space. I mean, people are unemployed for a couple hours and someone else comes along and grabs them. Mm-hmm. And it's so clear that uh, well, I think what the, the COVID lockdowns have really expedited uh, is our moving uh, to this online economy. Um, now, my concern uh, with much of that is I want to make sure that we don't have uh, that we don't leave entire segments of the population behind, uh, which I think is uh, is a concern of whether you have people who can afford to uh, work from home and just take a salary, but then you have other people who have to show up and get an hourly wage. What we need to make sure, again, a lot of this goes back to, I know this is a little bit kind of platitudes, we got to make sure that we're really pushing a lot of the science uh, in the tech development early uh, because even, for example, yeah, you might have someone who uh, maybe they're um, they're planning on being a truck driver uh, in 10 years. Well, guess what? Um, you know, maybe instead of that truck driver job, they're training to um, uh, repair trucks, uh, for example. So I, I do think that the tech space is only going to continue to grow, and that's where a lot of the uh, the focus should be. So, Jason, um, you said that you would give us half an hour, and I'm just a bit mindful that we've taken up more of your time if you're happy to speak we'd love to speak to you more but if you have to go we'd also really understand because you're a very very busy man um i think i i believe that i have um uh another thing that i have to do right away that might be a, a couple minutes uh behind schedule for us. so i do gotta uh, cut it short um but i really really appreciate the opportunity to chat with both of you guys uh it's been a, a great conversation we've really enjoyed it it's been absolutely fantastic we'd love to have you back because of yes. course we want to talk to you as you're plans are progressing and you know wish you all Paul, the very Paul wants best. to know all about get a coin yeah exactly. it's, uh, we as we start getting to it this, like i said it's gonna be we'll have a stable coin we'll have a fluctuating coin we even had a meeting on it this morning talk about some of the gamification ideas how people can monetize their participation in the platform even think through with advertisers uh the way that people can essentially be compensated um uh with uh, parts of getter coin for uh, consuming uh, advertising messages uh, within the platform. So we're going to have a lot of really cool ways uh, for people to um, uh, to participate and, and grow uh, with this uh, digital economy. And we think um, the getter pay, um, uh, essentially biosphere uh, ecosystem is going to be the way to do it. Fantastic. And um, we don't need to tell you where to look for you in terms of social media handles, because we normally say that at the end of the show, obviously on Getter. Um, so um, absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Wish you all the very best and we look forward to having you back. All right. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thanks, Jason.